Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. And I'm joined by my co-host, second year child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hey, guys. Third year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Edgar Ortega. Hi, Edgar. Hey, how are you guys? And second year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Good evening, Dr. Parks. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speakers. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services or UCR School of Medicine. All right, so now we have permission to say whatever we want to say and have complete freedom <laughs> and not care about the consequences. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, on today's show, we're gonna talk about motivation what uh, influences people, maybe some of the research on that. Um, touch on a little bit on motivational speakers. Have ha Has anyone out there been to a motivational speech? Have they felt inspired? What is the impact? Do, do people feel this is a good thing overall? The, do, do you know, first of all, has anyone, has anyone been to a motivational speaker presentation and they felt uh, like they could just seize the day and they were incredibly inspired and they feel it worked for them, basically. No, I've never been to a... You didn't uh, pay good money no. to do that? I had a, a few uh, times where I've... I, I, mean, I actually would say I do this somewhat regularly, you know, despite the fact that I have that sort of threatened skepticism that I think a lot of the people in our field do about motivational speakers. I'll occasionally... Google like a uh, a TED talk or something to get myself peppy if I'm in a, a low energy mood, and I find that they're helpful. Um, but but I actually had a a supervisor once when I was an intern uh, in like uh, in undergrad, and I was kind of semi starting to work for them, and it was I was trying to make the the transition to fully working for them, and the guy said, "You can work for us if you go to Landmark." And start going to the landmark talks and I, I looked into what this is and it's like the kind of an intersection between our 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 interest in cults and our interest in motivational speaking but you go there and they they amp you up they uh, have you I think like contact people you're estranged from and tell them that you're gonna like follow your dreams or, or and they they have you publicly commit to things that you're gonna do to like revolutionize your life and as a result, people, I think, do, they have a really kind of a good follow-up network to make sure people really are kind of following up on these things. But also, the organization supports itself with that follow-up network, and it's a lot of money, and uh, I think I think it's like several thousand dollars a pop, and you have to keep going back to the things. I ended up, of course, deciding not to do. So, is so you were uninspired. <laughs> This is some sort. Of, what are they, What is their goal? Is it just to create successful people, ambitious, successful people, or something? Or do they sell a product? Or? I, well, you know, I mean, this is really going to start converging on the. I think we okay. should save right. this. Yeah, just move move on. They used to be well, EST and or or uh, right and then ESP. No EST. EST. Oh. And then which was and then now they're they're landmark and it. So many questions. Th there was that cult. Anyway, the, yeah, this is okay, another yeah, yeah. Stay on. tuned, folks. <laughs> Stay well, tuned okay, so I've never been to 
I've never been to a motivational um, speaker's presentation, but I would say that I was inspired or motivated to change after watching that show on Netflix, the Marie Kondo show. You guys know what I'm talking about? Of course. No. Yeah. After I watched that, um, can you I got say really say a little inspired. bit about Marie Kondo? Or, or oh whatever. well, she's just uh, a minimalist when it comes to uh, living at home. So her thing is, you know, keep only keep things that give you joy. So okay. after watching those episodes, I actually did go through my house and uh, get rid of a, a lot of things that didn't give me joy. And I'm I, I do like it. I, I am happy. So with that the worked. Change. Are you and a minimalist yeah, right me. now? I wouldn't say I'm a minimalist, but <laughs> I did I did cut out a lot of extra stuff, and a lot of extra fat in my house. Was that motivation sustained after you watching those things? Because I think this is one of the controversial say, yeah. points of motivational mm. speaking. It's great. Yeah, actually, like it has changed the way that I relate to consumerism. Um, I am careful whenever I buy things now and I consider more thoroughly whether I think it will give me long-term joy or not. I think people, Edgar um, makes a really good point with that. I think that what you're talking about isn't really sustained motivation. I think that the value in that Marie Kondo thing was that it taught you new ideology and ways to perceive mm, the world, and so yeah. you were educated. But I think Edgar's point that if it was, if it had been purely a motivational thing, which it wasn't, I think it had more value than just that, then probably your temporary motivational inspired hypomanic episode would have expired by now. <laughs> Do I, people I can, see yeah, go ahead, Edgar. I, I, I just want to say like I I also haven't really been directly involved in signing up for a specific motivational speaker or something like that. But I find going through different things in terms of uh, like emotional intelligence classes, things like that, especially because I went to community college and transferring to like a I, I used the use system like a high academic institution was really hard so it's like kind of those things that they teach you how to use that in your favor because you're supposed to be at disadvantage when you join the people who have been pre-meds in our case right for for many years before you, you even knew about it so in, in that way that's helped and in other ways also what I have seen myself in terms of whether it's self-help but now um, uh, be wellness things like that yes they have help and out of one thing that maybe I can summarize of what uh, the positive things of motivational speaking mean to me it's like when it's about informing and educating people and you have the background to do it and the experience and I think that could be very beneficial to people and I've been asked to give talks related like mental health in Hispanic populations, things like that. And, and not in a way to be very persuasive and try to push everybody to, let's say, take medications, but just to bring that, up that awareness of like, hey, you know, there's suicide or depression in also the Latino population, and this, there's a stigma, and, and then there's, you can ask for help, things like that. But I think, uh, for me, I, I'm very cautious when it's about money and motivational speaking. Like, if you have to pay several thousand dollars to go to a motivational speaking course, and you have to do as exactly what they tell you. That's when I'm a little more cautious about like what are the. That's when things can get blurry for me. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, the motivational speaking industry in America is worth two billion dollars right wow. now. That's from MarketResearch.com. You know how much Tony Robbins is worth? Five hundred billion or million? Five hundred million. Million. Five hundred million dollars. 
That yeah, two billion, I would, have, I would have thought it was way more than that. Really? <laughs> yeah. That this is just motivational speaking. It. It's just motivational speaking. It's not like the, all the self-help books and everything like that. I wonder if it's more in the United States because uh, the United States is a, a country that has a lot of rags to riches, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, uh, kind of oh, American yeah, that's dream a, that's type an interesting stuff. point, yeah. Compared to other countries where it's like, nope, I'm going to stay in my class. Or... Yeah, we have this kind of somewhat delusional culture. We, I think we talked, we touched on this in the – oh, no, we didn't touch on this in the Insight episode but but carla talked about it in their insight episode that we have this idea that in our society you can be empowered by you know a book like rich dad poor dad or something to suddenly transform your life and climb five you know echelons of society despite the fact that you know you're pretty much statistically shown to stay within where the class you were born in almost no matter what no they've done studies of this and they've uh, identified different states have different states in the United States have uh, different ideas about what's possible given what, where most people are, what their current class is. There's certain states that feel like, uh, you know, they, they, you can be rich and it's probably not very possible because of just the standard of living there. Yeah, it's very interesting research. But I'm going to ask this question if I could take it another direction. Do people see that, that motivational speaking has, it almost seems like an altar call to you? You know, like we're anyone grown up in a religious environment where there's this kind of inspirational speech to make changes in your life and to go for it and to make a commitment and take action, things like that. Or I'm just reading into it because I grew up in that environment. (laughs) I feel like I've never been to a motivational speech or anything, but I've definitely had a lot. I've been through a lot of altar calls in church and things like that. And I've even when I was a kid, I committed to that, you know, so I can I'm skeptical like you, Edgar, though. About did, did you feel that you were skeptical just because now you're training in psych- psychology and psychotherapy and all this? I'm, I'm skeptical for some of the reasons that you're saying and, and just the reason I just said, which is like, you know, I'm skeptical of people that have a, a huge amount of charisma and uh, are telling people and, and then that's how they make all their living is just by, you know, inspiring people. They pay, they go to that, this, uh, you know, this, this, this speech and then they support themselves by people going to their speech. I mean, I, I would take, I would feel that the person is more credible if they actually started a business from another area or something like that. Does that sound like, and then, and then this is just another thing they're doing. Like here, here's how to make it like I did instead of here's like, here's how to make it being a motivational speaker. Let's move on. <laughs> that that fell that fell really heavily among amongst everybody like a dead weight. Let's move on to Well, think- wait, sorry, hold on. One of the things that I found in researching this topic actually one one of the criticisms I found is that one of the reasons it doesn't work for for everybody for very long is because eventually you come upon a point where the um, people attending these conferences or these speeches don't have uh, the resources to take action or change their life or do these things. Right. So I think motivation, I mean, so motivation, it's a high, high, absolutely. And motivation as one of the ingredients for creating personal change, I think is potentially, it's an important one, but it's, and it, it might be necessary, but it's far from sufficient. Um, you know, I, I looked a little bit into this about what works with different people now. Is does this seem like this feels right to you that people that were high in a, a character trait called authoritarianism responded well to 
influential speeches that had to do with uh, you could lose something or there's a threat, there's an impending threat coming up. They were very responsive to threat-themed messages, whereas people that were low in authoritarianism uh, responded well to things about rewards and about potential gains. Is that, do you feel like that makes sense about what you know about folks? Yeah, I guess so. And, do you, and, you know, the speculation is that maybe people that are authoritarian, believe in, you know, believe in, um, you know, kind of uh, the, the obedience to authority and, stru and structure mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. they are less, pe they're less optimistic, they're very pessimistic people. And so then they're always worried that someone's going to take their stuff or take something but, from them. Or mm -hmm. Is it also lifestyle. because they, they're just used to be told, told how to do things and how to follow and get to point B by doing X, Y, and Z. I just, because it's, feel like sometimes with motivational speaking, the person creates a specific formula that they try to apply to everybody, but sometimes it doesn't fit everybody. And maybe there's people who are more authoritarian and they were, they grew up like that. They're more prone to follow that because that kind of mimics what they were raised like. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I feel like there's definitely different types of personalities will be more geared toward different messages. And that's one of the big things that they're noticing is there's personality traits that are that you can tailor a message to and they'll be more responsive to. They've looked at the, you know, things like um, the big five personality traits and things like that. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. We're talking about motivation and different factors that are involved with influence and influencing people to do things, motivational speaking and things like that. Let's talk about our own practice. Do you feel like you use motivational speaking or motivational strategies in your own practice? Do you feel like you inspire people to make changes in their lives? Do you feel I, like you I, harness this? I think that's this? a good topic. And, and I, I actually, I would say I probably do. Let's take a moment. Um, let's just take a break for one moment and we'll be back with you. So, I've done motivational interviewing with patients, which I think is worth noting. The difference between motivational speaking and motivational interviewing is that motivational interviewing is a process, which is, it's a really cool process, and it uses the patient. So the patient is heavily involved in the motivational interviewing, and we're often harnessing their own energy and their own goals to take them forward. Motiv Motivational speaking is unilateral and it feels good. It involves impassioned speaking. And I do this too sometimes, and I used to do it a lot more, I think, when, when I was a behavior therapist and I didn't have as much training. And it feels great for the person doing it because you're talking about your own successes or you're talking about whatever you love talking about and you're, you're, you know, you've got your charisma going and it feels great. And I think in reality, it's much less effective. If, if you're in the therapy room, you have the opportunity to make it a two-way street. So why would you use, you know, the, the motivational speaker approach is, of course, necessary when you're talking to, well, not when you're, I mean, not that any of us do this, but when someone's talking to 300 people, they can't involve the voices of those people. But when you're just with one patient, I think motivational interviewing is far, far superior. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, motivational interviewing is different 
they have the same goal as motivational speaking and inspiring people, but it's completely different as who is the agency that's at, the agent that's active. Like for example, motivational interview, you're getting the person to talk themselves into change. They're becoming the active person, the primary active you know agent of change. Whereas in motivational speaking, you're basically sitting there and you're just listening, and then you have this inspiring feeling yes. welling up inside of you. <laughs> I think uh, another thing to be said about motivational interviewing is that uh, you know they talk about you're meeting the patient where they are and you're not being the authority. Um, and, and then in motivational speaking, some of the, again, I, this is more of like a criticism of motivational speaking, I guess the, the article that I read, but it was saying that um, it was painting Tony Robbins as kind of a mean guy where most of his time his his way of motivating people is pointing out their flaws and saying like you're not doing this that or the other and that's why you're failing right now whereas motivational interviewing which is touted as being you know the primary um uh therapeutic modality for substance use counseling these days um is more about focusing on the patient's strengths and what they want for themselves, what their goals are, what their values are, and aligning their behavior to match what their uh, values are that they speak on. Yeah, you get them to talk about it, right. I think you're right that it's it's kind of a racket. You have this kind of uh, almost um, like abusive power dynamic mentality going with some of the motivational speaking where you keep aggrandizing yourself as the motivational speaker and and um, diminishing the person listening and then by doing that they feel bad about themselves which keeps them coming back and they feel good about the speaker which keeps them coming back and i agree that that's a racket but in terms of the meeting you where you're at i do think there's value in sometimes not meeting people where they're at and and what i would posit here is um so marshall linehan the founder of this thing called dialectical behavioral therapy, which uh, I think a lot of us are fans of, um, she, some of the skills that she suggests are confronting our sad states um, or our difficult states with things that have a very different abrupt change in energy from where we're at. So let's say someone's feeling suicidal, they watch a movie that's, uh, you know, a romantic comedy, or, you know, you're, you're basically capitalizing on the fact that there's media out there with you know classical music scores and lots of people put effort into giving it a certain energy just like with the motivational interview or their motivational speaking stuff right and that can be used to pump people up and sometimes all people need is a pump up i i I agree with that sorry in terms of uh interviewing and some of the techniques that we learned from medical school and then now in psychiatry training is that in general i feel like you cannot choose change people because you you say so right like the unilateral thing that we're talking about with the speakers right and but by doing it with establishing rapport the way we're depicting it with the interviewing like hearing what are the people like limitations uh what are they looking for and things like that you try to incentivate that change in finding what motivates them to to look for that change, whether it's a mental health, physical health, or some other goals. It might be even, you know, be able to be with the families, be able to have goals of be financially successful, all the things, but but not in the way that it's one uh, size, one size fits everybody, which is one of the criticisms for motivation in speakers. And the other thing is that when that 
one size formula doesn't apply to everybody that like the user is the one who's blamed for not following as directed or because uh, they might not be believers and things like that so I think a better approach is um, that not, this approach is not universal you know behaviors as desirable as you want it to be there or not and and there should be the, the, the two-way interaction when you take the constructive criticism and feedback and then decide on, on what can you improve or want to improve maybe not in everything that the other person is telling you to do and, and when you are in the situation as the interviewer it's motivational interviewer or the speaker or coaching it's actually making sure that you are portraying your message clear and specific mm. to the to the person not just to to everybody like like well going back to the universal approach i think that's so true edgar i feel like there's lots of different therapies we know this there are a lot of different therapy modalities and different therapy modalities have been shown to be successful for different types of problems so um I think that in terms of what does it take to motivate someone in therapy, like something you could say, I feel like universally, is that if the patient feels that you know them, who they are as an individual, and you understand them, I think that's like one of the most critical pieces of being able to to start the motivation in therapy. <clears throat> and yeah. it's like what you were saying, not like one, one size doesn't fit all approach. Yeah, definitely. If you know some of the research, you know most of the research shows that uh, the relationship with the client is huge, as far as you know uh, making therapy effective. So yeah, if the relationship is really close, you have a strong therapeutic alliance. If the client really thinks that you're they're being understood by you, then they'll probably follow through on suggestions or therapy assignments and things like that. So yeah, you probably will motivate them. I have to say though, I, I kind of wanted to say something. Uh, that early in my career, I felt like I kind of was trying to inspire people, and now I feel like I don't do that as, as much, at least. I feel like I was trying to do that, and I feel like, you know, there's some clinicians that are really charismatic, and their clients do seem to connect well with them, and they do report that you know, they're really helped by them. And now I'll go in a step further. Um, you know, when I, I used to do a lot of work with adolescents, there were some uh, clinicians and some just some staff, like I did a lot of, uh, you know, group home work, where as soon as a certain charismatic staff would come in, all the kids would just be ready to please that staff and do whatever they said. And, you know, the staff would get them to clean up the house and to be nice to everybody. And yeah. it had everything to do with the staff just wanting it and motivating them and then convincing yeah. them. Everything that the staff said sounded a little bit more believable, a little bit more interesting, and it sounded like something that they wanted to do. So I, there's something to be said about charisma inspiring For people. sure, yeah. I really wanted to be that guy when I was working as a behavior therapist, and it was a dangerous and slippery slope. One, because you're going to get burned <laughs> out. But, <laughs> well, it was dangerous, right? Because so you're going to be a megalomaniac, Daisy. Alan. <laughs> it's a yeah, it's a it's a cliff. Um, so so you're working with kids who are, uh, I mean, I don't know. And I was working with kids in the justice system, and part of that, if you're banking on your own charisma then you're trying to be charismatic and part of being charismatic is you know being relatable and being cool and now all of a sudden you're you're finding yourself trying to be cool to someone who is gang involved 
and maybe their standards of coolness involve breaking from what we might consider the goals we're trying to um, help them aspire towards. The other thing I think is like um, Edgar's point about it not being universal and us having that caveat. I mean, yeah, therapy is not motivational inter- is not motivational speaking, and I think therapy is is it's a different product and and it's a much better product. When when Edgar said that, what it made me think of was this constant irritation I have with how the public, the people out there with degrees that are maybe um, that you know, like non-allied health practitioners that don't necessarily go through schooling but call themselves things like you know, you have your um, you have your dietitian versus life your coach. nutritionist or your life coaches versus your therapist. The confidence, you know, trained professionals are taught to taper their confidence or not taper it to sort of um, to bracket their confidence and, and state everything with with its due amount of uncertainty. And then you have the untrained people who people should be giving less confidence to who are saying, you know, you have Dr. Axe online saying like, oh, I can help you cure your spleen with kale. And and he doesn't have like, oh, this may work. Studies have shown. And of course, I highly doubt studies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is one thing I think. I think that, um, you know, I feel like if the proof is in the pudding, if and I also think that, you know, if if you've gone to some motivational speech or a motivational speaker like you know for you Tosha it was Marie Kondo which is great I'm not saying it's wrong but uh I I feel like that you know if it actually does have this positive effect and it keeps going then you know I I, you know it's great and I feel it's we can't you know we shouldn't paint such broad strokes not saying that you all were doing that but I do feel like they when whenever we're talking about people that are going to therapy and they're in this you know structured one down position, you know, where you're the expert and you're the person in authority, then yeah, you're right. I feel it's really dangerous to kind of rely on that or to to use that. Um, Because, you know, outside of that environment, if they don't have this charismatic clinician or therapist inspiring them to make changes, you know, perhaps you haven't really taught, you haven't really helped them in a way that has been um, so that they can use it in their lives, you know, going forward. But I, you know, but again, it's a, it's kind of a, a proof is in the pudding thing because, you know, what do you think about Dianetics and Scientology? I've known folks that have, that are involved in this. I don't, am not a very big believer in it at all, but I know that folks that are involved in this and they swear by it and they say, well, it works. So that's why I keep doing it. And that's why I keep Wait, paying what is, is that it. like motivational speaking? What is motivational it's, speaking? It can be very inspiring to hear you know, people in Scientology and Dianetics about all the things they can change and how your life can be completely, you know, different and things like that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, just and you're just like religious inspiration, you know. But I, I feel like is is it is it is it just enough to justify it, no matter what is being said or what's uh, you know, as long as it's not hurting anybody, as long as it makes a change in your life, is that the proof? Is I, it, I, make, I it makes it okay? I don't think so no. Um, cause this, I, I think this is one thing to throw the gift word, right? Like, can you, anybody just go online and say something because they have some minimal experience and as long as it doesn't hurt there. anybody, yeah, Hey, you know, but then are you going to be now a coach? Like who's going to be training, making money out of people, right? Without the credentials, I guess. And, and to me, it sounds more like maybe some things can be complimentary. Like if you go to therapy, but also choose to do some self care and listen to some motivational speakers and maybe you're not spending too much money on that. I think that might be reasonable to do. 
I f- and and I have a question for that follow-up of parts and that. But for me, in terms of my financial part, I've been paying a lot of attention recently because you don't get that 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 in medical school or residency, right? And I, <laughs> Alan brought it up like about the uh, rich dad poor dad. That's actually how I got into finances because a friend recommended it to me. I read it and then I said, oh wow, like this is something I really never thought about it, and I just out of curiosity and something that I want to do in my life, I start to look more into it, right? And, and keep maybe building on that. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to just rely on self-help or motivational speakers or something. Like, and then if I need therapy, you know, I'm open for all those things. Is that something that can be complementary, Dr. Park, since you maybe have seen the two poles or the two perspectives? You know, this is also like a, a long discussion that we probably don't have time for. Right. Uh, I, I will say that, you know, as far as like Scientology and Dianetics, I mean, there's all reports about, you know, that being harming people. So I guess I would be particularly careful about, you know, anything that's inspirational or motivational in that sense. But, you know, again, that would be another show that we have. And that is actually all the time we have. <laughs> <laughs> See how I, I just, I just yeah, set up a bunch of cliffhangers question. and then I say that's it for the show. Uh, you've been listening to Let's Get Psych. We talked about motivation, a little bit of uh, our own experience and a little bit of research. Thanks to our co-hosts, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi, Dr. Edgar Ortega, and Dr. Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, suggestions to the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucrgmail.com. That's getpsychedonkucrgmail.com. And you can listen to our past episodes on your favorite streaming platform. This episode was recorded in each of our respective homes and then mixed by our producer at KUCR, Elliot Fong. So special thanks go out to him. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.